You know, we can sometimes think that the Bible being 2,000 years ago when it happened and was written then too, that it's really out of date and it's got nothing to say to us at all. That just is not true. The situations that were going on where Paul was uh, preaching about Jesus were different in, in detail from us, different cultures, but there are many, many things that ring bells for us. And it would be quite wrong to think that some of these places were like uh, very primitive and hick and nobody really understood anything. There are three major cities in the Greco-Roman world that Paul goes to in Acts 17, 18 and 19. Athens, Corinth and Ephesus. They were different and they were all interesting. Athens was the intellectual centre of the Greco-Roman world. It was a place where very many clever people were. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Epicurus, Zeno, I don't know if you know who they are, but I'm sure some of you don't know more than I do. All these people taught there. It had the foremost university of the uh, first century world. There were other great cities. Athens was clearly the leading one. And students, intelligent young people from all across the Roman Empire flocked to Athens. It was the place to be. It was the Oxford or Cambridge and more almost. Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge all wrapped together for the Roman Empire. Now it wasn't a big place, maybe 20,000 people or more. Probably a little bit, maybe like the, the centre of Winchester. Quite a, an atmosphere. It's, it's, I'm not saying Winchester's quite got that intellectual status, but there's something about Winchester. We've got a public school, haven't we? And we've got, yeah, we've got a cathedral. and uh, Something of a, a beautiful sort of historic element to it. Now, Corinth, where Paul went, was quite different. You may think all these places are small. It's estimated that the population of Corinth was three quarters of a million people. 750,000. Not unlike a city today. And it it sprawled across the isthmus. It had two ports. It was a big, thriving commercial centre. And there were every sort of race and person there. It it had uh, lots of different religions, but its main thing was money and trade. And it was very loose in its morals. To Corinthianize was slang term for being sexually very immoral in the first century. It was a slang way, or you're like a Corinthian. So it was was really a a very uh, sort of, in a way, cosmopolitan, edgy sort of place. I don't know, New York-y type. I don't know what it was, really. We've got equivalent today. We have got them. But it was a buzzing city. Now, Ephesus was different again. And that's the one we're going to look at briefly this morning. Ephesus was big. 500,000 people. It was as big as putting Portsmouth and Southampton and and the conurbations in between together. These weren't little piddling places. Half a million people. It was the Roman capital of that area of Asia. It was a political centre. It was also, and this is where it really was prominent, it was a religious centre. And uh, it had three big temples sort of to Roman emperor worship. But above all, it had a huge temple to Artemis. Now, Artemis was a goddess, and the Romans called her Diana. So we're more familiar with the name Diana. And this temple to Diana was uh, huge, four times the size of the Pantheon in Athens. I've never seen the Pantheon. My daughter and son-in-law went there on holiday, but that's still there. You can see it. This was four times that size, 127 marble pillars, all 60 feet tall, with a huge marble white roof. It was a massive building. And in it, there was a carving of Diana. And it was carved out of a meteorite. 
And it was a many-breasted sort of image, quite grotesque by all accounts. And uh, in, into this, uh, around this were all sorts of sculptures and artwork and, and an amazing array of different religious practices, many of them superstitious occult practices. There was even black magic. All went on around this huge temple, which was the center of many things in Ephesus. Paul went to all these places and preached the gospel. Doesn't that stir your spirit? I mean, he was, what a guy. I mean, he goes to Athens. We saw him last week. We're not even looking at Corinth. We've looked at it before when we looked at Corinthians. He goes to Corinth with all that promiscuity and business and money. And now he comes to Ephesus. And Ephesus is big on religion. Big, big, big on religion. All sorts of religions. There were things called Ephesian letters that were passed around in the first century. They were very expensive, actually. And there were amulets and scrolls and various talismans, all with formula and, and magic incantations written on them and printed on them. And they were very pricey. They made a fortune for the people who wrote them. And they were right round the first century uh, world, all around the eastern Mediterranean and Asia. And actually, Diana, I didn't say to you, it was a sort of fertility goddess thing. It was really, uh, in many ways, the worship of it is quite grotesque. Paul took the wonderful, refreshing, renewing, world-changing good news of Jesus right into these places. And the churches grew. We don't know a lot about Athens, but in Corinth and Ephesus, large churches grew from very small beginnings because something really connected with people. There was something of hope. There was something of change that came with Jesus. And it was a difference in places that were genuinely sophisticated, not just uh, backwards at all, where people knew all about life more than perhaps we do, not unlike our contemporary culture in many ways. And yet the gospel had terrific impact there. Well, we're going to read the Ephesus bit. So I'm going to read to you Acts 19 and start with verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them and he gave them such a beating that he ran out of the house naked and bleeding. 
When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. That doesn't mean much to us, but in our language, that's roughly four million pounds. 50,000 drachma in modern equivalent to about four million pounds. It was a lot of stuff and it was worth a lot of money. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I don't know if you really realise, but there are two spiritual kingdoms at work in this world. There is the kingdom of God and the kingdom or dominion of darkness, as it's described in the Bible. Things are not just what they seem. When we look out of the world, we see ourselves, we see uh, people acting in various ways, and that's all very important. We are major players in life, human beings. But actually, there is a lot more to life than just the material. A lot more. And there are two kingdoms that are talked about in the Bible. As I said, the kingdom of God and the dominion or kingdom of darkness. And that's about the devil and his fallen angels, demons as they're described. And these two kingdoms are in conflict. There is a battle going on. The devil can only operate effectively in an environment of rebellion against God, an environment of uh, turning your back on God. But unfortunately, that is the environment of many areas, many of our lives. That is the environment of the natural world of men and women. It is an environment where we don't seek God and we don't look for him. So that does give the devil quite a lot of space to move and influence human beings. If you are going to change from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, something quite radical has to happen. You can't just drift across. You're not just changing allegiances in some sort of political sense or going to a different club. There is something very radical that needs to happen. Now, there's a verse in the Bible, which I'm going to ask them to put on the screen for you, Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. And, Ree, if you'd be good enough, you could leave it up for a little while while I talk. Thank you. And this verse summarizes the situation. It talks about Jesus and it says, it talks about God. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, actually, in that translation, it says, brought us into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God's Son. Actually, some translations say transferred, which is, I prefer, it's a bit more radical. Transferred. There's two quite significant words, rescued from one kingdom, transferred to another kingdom. It is quite dramatic terminology. For you to know God, something has to happen that rescues you, and something has to happen, part of that, that transfers you from one kingdom to another, from darkness to light. These two kingdoms are very real and very powerful. And we aren't on neutral ground. Naturally speaking, we operate in a way of ignoring God and turning our back on him. That's our natural default position, sadly. So we find it easy to be in this kingdom of darkness. It's not difficult to ignore him and his ways. 
But God still loves us. And God wants us in his kingdom of light and love. But he's got a problem. He's got to rescue us and transfer us. And he rescues us by, in effect, buying us out of darkness. That could be one term. There's a word redemption in this verse. And redeeming is to buy someone out of slavery. To buy them out from, say, uh, even a kidnap. It's like a bit like paying a ransom. You buy someone out of a bondage or a slavery. It's called redeeming them. And God redeems us from darkness through the work of Jesus, which is caught in the next phrase, forgiving our sins. Something happens that gets rid of our darkness, that gets rid of our sin, gets rid of our rebellion, and that buys us out from darkness. That redeems us from the kingdom of darkness. That rescues us and transfers us to the kingdom of light. God achieved then this amazing rescue actually through Jesus Christ, which is why Christians love to talk about Jesus. It really is all about him. He redeemed us from darkness. He paid the price that was necessary to get us free, to release us freely and completely from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of light and love. It's called the kingdom of light in the verse just before the ones on the screen there. Now, what exactly do we need to do to enjoy this transfer, this rescue? Thanks, Ree. I probably can move on now. What exactly do we do to enjoy it? How do we get from light, from darkness, I beg your pardon, to light? How do we get from this situation of darkness and confusion and demonic influence into a situation of light and understanding God and knowing him? Well, in some ways, we do very, very little because God has done the main work. It's done through Jesus. He paid the price. For us, it's taking it by faith. It's a free gift of eternal life. The Christian message is about a free gift, absolutely free. You don't have to do some huge task. You don't have to um, make some pilgrimage or some great um, religious exercise to earn God's favor. There is a free gift of eternal life, a free gift of coming into God's kingdom, being rescued from darkness and transferred to light. But to sort of effect that free gift, to actually take it, There is a bit of a process. I wouldn't call it a major thing, but you do have to do something. Like if I offered you a free gift, you might have to come forward and take it with your hands. There is a taking of that. What is it? Well, we can briefly analyze it in the verses I read to you, verses 1 to 6 of Acts 19. We're not going to go back and read them again. But if you looked at those verses, you'd find there are sort of four elements to what happens when someone transfers from darkness to light. When someone is rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God of light and love. And these four elements are not rigorously organized. You don't have to do them in one order or another. But they're what make up becoming a Christian. They what make up becoming a member of God's kingdom, coming into the kingdom of God. Here they are, very simply. In Acts 19, and verse, the first one is repentance. The word repentance, a biblical word, repentance. In Acts 19 and verse 4, Paul said to these people, because they said they'd been baptized with a baptism from John. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. These people, actually, these 12 people he met at the beginning of his work in, in Ephesus, had actually already repented. Now, we need to know, what does that mean? 
basically it's very simple. The word repent means to turn round, to stop going one way and to start going another way. And in effect, they had turned round. They'd already heard a message that John the Baptist preached before Jesus came saying, we need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. And they'd responded and said, yep, we need to get right with God. And really, that is repentance. I need God. I need to get right with God. Oh, God, help me. I mean, whatever words we might use, that is the first step of transferring from darkness to light. It's to know we're in the dark. It's to know we have a need. And it's to say, oh, God, please help. Oh, God, would you speak to me? I want you to do something. I want you to get me out of this. That sort of thing. That is repentance. They then believed in Jesus. The same verse we just looked at said they were told about Jesus and told to believe in him. Well, what does that mean, believe in Jesus? Well, it means almost exactly what it says, that they believed that Jesus Christ was the answer to their need. They sort of believed that Jesus Christ had died for them and had done whatever was necessary to put them right with God. And so they actually accepted that. That's in a sense what believe is. It's to accept it. It's to say, I believe that's true, and I accept it as true, and I say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. And Jesus has made the way for us to go from darkness to light. He isn't telling us about the way. He doesn't just sort of tell us things to do. He is the way. So we actually transfer by putting faith in him. And as we put faith in Jesus, we are taken from one kingdom to the other. We repent in Bible terms. We put faith in Jesus, believe in him. Now, these people were baptized. And that comes out in verse 5. They were baptized. Be baptized. And in Acts 19, verse 5, it says this. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, what's that about? Well, we heard that down at Park Life... Uh, this afternoon at three o'clock they're going to be baptizing nine people six of whom became Christians this week and baptism is a bible way of saying really I've done the first two steps I've repented and put faith in Jesus it's a way of saying I really mean it that's basically what it is it's a meaningful personal response saying I have turned from my old life and I now want to follow Jesus I've died to one thing and I now live for Jesus and to follow him. It's a sort of public step of commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And then the fourth thing that happened in this sort of package of transfer, it's not too easy to split it up, but they all seem to be separate elements that make one whole. The fourth thing is they received the Holy Spirit. And we can see that in Acts 19 and verse 6. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. You see, there is a spiritual world. And becoming a Christian is not changing your mind, putting your head round some new religion, trying to find a whole new set of rules to follow. It is about a spiritual life, a new life on the inside. Jesus described it this way. This is Jesus' words from John chapter 3. He said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus said you get into Father's kingdom, God's kingdom, by being born of the Spirit. Something has to happen in you supernaturally. Now, God responds to your faith, but it isn't just an intellectual thing. Something happens in your heart. Something exciting changes on the inside. 
And when you become a Christian, the whole thing is about the work of the Spirit in you. But he doesn't just change you and leave you. He empowers you and fills you. And the New Testament has a lot to say about the actual presence of the Holy Spirit with Christians all the time. And everybody I come across in in the Bible, in the New Testament, when they become a Christian, consciously ask to be filled with the Spirit. Consciously ask to receive an empowering. This isn't to do with just becoming a Christian. It's being a Christian and living the Christian life. And they look for an empowering presence of God in their lives. And they can have it. It's available for all of us. You can't rigidly, as I keep saying, make a set of rules, but you do need to make sure you've got it. You may need to make sure that you have received the Holy Spirit's empowering for your day-to-day life. Now, you put all those bits together, and that is being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then you are walking in God's kingdom and living under his rule. But you are still in a war zone. This world is a war zone between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But thankfully, we need to remember that Jesus is the one who's on the front foot, not the devil. In 1 John 3, verse 8, it says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And Jesus is invading, as it were, Satan's territory. It's not like Satan's pushing Jesus out. It's exactly what was happening in these great big cities. That as the gospel came, the light was coming in and pushing out the darkness. And that is still happening. And still the light is winning. The light shines and the darkness can't overcome it. And Jesus came to bring a change to the bondage that men and women know to darkness and sin. And that really is again in John 1 John 4, 4. That's rem- we're reminded that Jesus is strong enough to set us free. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, that's Jesus, is greater than the one who's in the world. Jesus is a winner. There's no doubt of you being set free from Satan's grip. But you need to be cooperating. You need to be part of his kingdom and filled with his spirit and following the spirit and going with what the Spirit of God does. Now, when that happens, you sometimes get clear power encounters between the two kingdoms. And that's what happens in the rest of the story I read. We're not spending very long on it this morning. I'm just highlighting points. But when Paul turned up in Ephesus as a spirit-filled Christian and he got 12 other people to start with and he told them about Jesus and they came into the kingdom of light, stuff began to happen in Ephesus. It always does begin to happen. As you begin to follow Jesus... Things will happen that break the hold of Satan in your life. And we have a great example of this. It was a very dramatic one as it happens here in Ephesus. In verses 11 and... uh, Well, we won't quite get to that because we want to talk about healing. That's right. Verses 11 and 12, we see that bodies were healed. People were healed. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left. Now listen, God is still in the healing business. The kingdom of God is about restoring things. When God made this world, it was not full of sickness and disease. And when we have a new heavens and a new earth, it is not full of sickness and disease. Sickness and disease is essentially a result of the fall into sin. 
You can't tie everything to every sickness to a sin and no one would want to. Jesus made it clear we shouldn't do that. But actually, the state our world is in is an imperfect state. It's a state of darkness, really, and confusion. And the kingdom of God rolls that back. And one area where it rolls it back is healing. And Christians are for healing in every way. Not antagonistic to medicine. I believe medicine is part of God's blessing to us and providence and provision to bring wholeness where there's brokenness and suffering. I believe in feeding the hungry. That's part of the kingdom of God. To bring health and strength and to feed people who should be being fed and being looked after. The kingdom of God is about feeding people. And the kingdom of God is also about bringing miraculous healings. And sometimes... Praise God, we see these miracles. We heard about a couple of them earlier today down at the uh, Park Life uh, thing in, in Southampton where they're praying for the sick and seeing people healed. Now, this was happening here. And there's a little phrase that the writer uses, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. This was an extraordinary time. Now, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was a doctor. And actually... He was well acquainted with normal first century sickness and medicine because he was a doctor. And he was also well acquainted with miraculous healings because he'd seen them as well. And he describes these as extraordinary. You don't always see quite what they saw here. And it seems that somehow sweatbands rather than handkerchiefs and aprons that Paul used when he was working because he was a tent maker he was earning his money in Ephesus these things were sometimes used as touchstones of faith and people were miraculously healed in the name of Jesus and there must have been a link to the name of Jesus we need to be sensitive to the context here this was not just magic it was a long way from magic Paul was teaching exhaustively about Jesus. We're told in verse 10, for two years, every day, he was teaching about Jesus. So you could hear all about Jesus for two years. There was an exhaustive process of teaching the gospel. But in that context, people were being miraculously healed as the kingdom of God touched Ephesus. And of course, in the sovereignty of God, there was a wisdom here because this was a place of magic. And magic was relying on things like talisman and amulets and scrolls. And it was like God was showing that the power of Jesus was far greater than the power of the demonic powers that, was, that were doing stuff. Because they do do things. They do succeed in doing things. We're doing things in Ephesus. And this was a far different level. But just so that we're not confused, it is utterly clear that this was faith in Jesus, not just some magic formula. Because some people were making a lot of money out of exorcism in Ephesus. And a bunch of guys called the Sons of Sceva, who were Jewish uh, exorcists and made money out of it, tried to use Jesus' name as a mantra, as a little chant. And they would say, you know, we're bringing healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. just didn't work. The demons turned right around and these guys got beaten up physically. Because this has nothing to do with a mantra. This was faith in Jesus. It was faith in the gospel. The healing we look for is very much linked to faith in Jesus Christ, to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not magic. It's the Spirit of God moving in the authority of Christ. 
And we still see that today. We heard about it in, in Southampton. We will pray for people who are ill this morning in a few minutes when we finish. And we will see people healed. We see people healed when we pray in the name of Jesus. It's not always as extraordinary as it was there. That was an exceptional breakthrough. But that is always an expectation that when the kingdom of God meets the works of darkness and sickness is one of them, it rolls them back and brings healing. There was deliverance from demons. Maybe you don't think demons exist, but sadly they do. And they are particularly active when people indulge in occult practices and sort of uh, black magic and things like that. But they're also active wherever there is a sort of giving over to sin. And many of the people in Ephesus had got into this sort of thing. And so there needed to be a deliverance from the power of the demonic in their lives. Jesus had promised that as well in Mark 16:17. He said, his followers, in my name, they will drive out demons. There are sometimes things that just in, capture us, almost compulsive, destructive things in people's lives. Fears that absolutely freeze people and they just cannot, it's beyond their own willpower to deal with it. Sometimes there are, are other oppressions that come on people and they just can't lift them. It seems that there's sometimes something more powerful than just your mind at work. And and unfortunately, that is true. Sometimes it's like a demonic bondage. It happened here and it still happens. But the name of Jesus can bring liberty and freedom. There is no power that the name of Jesus can't deal with. And these things can be broken and people can be set free as they were here. And then finally... The occult was dealt with, and this was a remarkable thing. There was a sort of breakthrough even within people who joined the church, and this is quite interesting. Remember that Ephesus was a religious stronghold, and everybody was into religion in Ephesus, everybody. Now, what we learn as we read this story is that some people really did become Christians, but didn't yet let go of their old way of life. And that's sort of, in a strange, perverse way, a bit encouraging because it reminds us that the process of becoming a Christian is a process sometimes. It it isn't that we all make a decision instantly on the first day. Some people do. And it seems here that there had been a bit of a process going on and people were embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they weren't yet leaving their old life. bit familiar still can happen. But what happens here is there is a breakthrough of God's kingdom and everybody suddenly realises we've got to get right with Jesus. We can't mess about. We can't play fast and loose with Jesus. It says in Acts 19 and verse 17, when this thing with the sons of Sceva became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. People suddenly began to be wholehearted about following Jesus. And that is the only way to really be successfully part of the kingdom of God. For it to work for you, you need to be wholehearted and honour Jesus and follow him. And suddenly these people said, we must get rid of these old things that have kept us tied up. Now sometimes when God's dealing with us individually, as Christians, or as church-going people, he sometimes puts his finger on something that we need to change, that brings a breakthrough in our lives. That's what happened here. These people suddenly thought, I must get rid of this stuff from my past. And they physically burnt it in their case. But sometimes God will speak to us. And there's things we know we've got to get rid of. 
It may not be in this religious area. It may be something where we're, we're tied in with pornography or something. We think, i really got to get rid of that. I mustn't, you know, follow that connection through on the internet. I may even need to change the way I operate on the computer. I may need to do something concrete and physical to bring a break to what? I may need to throw these CDs away. I need, may need to get rid of that DVD or whatever it is. There's sometimes a concrete action that brings a clear break from a messing about with darkness, which is what was going on here. And, you know, we've done that with the Just Ten. We've had amnesty bins out, and they're going to be out this Wednesday. And maybe people need to still think, should I bring something or other stuff that I know holds me tied back to the old ways? And I need to bring them and chuck them away in that amnesty bin. Maybe you can just do it, throw it away yourself. But there seems to be sometimes something powerful in action that shows that I no longer play about with the darkness. I no longer compromise. That will make it so much more effective for you to follow Jesus. And what happened after this was that the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So everything changed and there was a breakthrough of God's kingdom and the light came flooding in to such an extent that in the next half of this chapter, all the huge business around the Diana worship began to become uh, less uh, profitable and actually they began to lose money, all the people selling the idols, and they got very upset about it. So many people became Christians, such an in Invasion of the God's kingdom in Ephesus that it changed the culture. God, I pray for that. I really pray for the kingdom of God to so impact us that it changes the culture. And I see it starting very simply with people who really did transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They put faith in Jesus. They turned from their old lives, got baptized, filled with the Spirit. They then purposefully put away their old lives. Some of them took a while to get there. But once they got there, they said nothing more. I'm not going to play trying to jump from darkness to light. I get rid of the darkness. We get rid of that old life. We're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And as that happened, stuff began to happen all over Ephesus. And people began to know that there's hope in Jesus. There was physical healing. People were healed and delivered from demonic bondage. Wonderful things happened, which need to happen in modern Britain. Don't let's think we're so sophisticated that we don't need this. We need healing. People need deliverance from bondage to evil. People need to follow Jesus today, and that's how our culture will ultimately change. I don't want to go into politics. I don't want people uh, to sort of, you know, just sign petitions. I do sign them sometimes, things I feel strongly about. But in the end, what really changes a culture is when people come to know God and come to know Jesus and come into his kingdom. So we're going to finish with a couple of songs. We're going to ask Jim and the band to come up. And what we're going to do in these last few minutes, we finish at half past, in the last ten minutes, we're going to actually give you an opportunity to be prayed for this morning. If you want to be healed from something, we will pray for healing. If you feel there's a a, a sort of controlling bondage in your life, something that you, you almost a compulsive thing that you can't break through from, maybe it's fear, maybe it's a an aspect of something you wish you didn't do and you just simply can't seem to break it, something oppressing you, well, maybe we'll see God set you free because that could have an extra demonic power to it. We'll pray for it. If you want to know about becoming a citizen of God's kingdom, being born of the Spirit, 
rescued from darkness and transferred to light, we'd gladly talk with you and pray with you. Maybe you just want to ask us a few more questions. We've got a question corner. You can do that as well. But we're going to sing for just a couple of songs, Jim, if that's all right. And uh, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to pray for people before we close. Before we close.